leading a startup team, whether you're delivering a sugar rush, stocking coffee, or getting a regular delivery of snacks, Office Depot has solutions that fit every startup culture, from getting those first business cards and stationery to ordering fleece pullovers with your new logo. To learn how Office Depot and the California Technology Council have partnered to bring you savings on all of these startup essentials and more, go to californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. Despite continued scientific and medical progress, the American Society of Clinical Oncology offered a mixed picture in its annual report on the state of cancer care in America earlier this year. While advances have been made in combating some cancers, mortality rates for others remain unchanged or have increased. There's disparity in care, concerns about the rising cost of therapy, and uncertainty about how new payment models will affect care. We spoke to Julie Bose immediate past president of ASCO, about the report, where additional work is needed, and how to balance the need to make cancer care affordable while encouraging innovation. Julie, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity. The State of Cancer Care in America 2016 report paints a mixed picture with both challenges and opportunities facing the U.S. cancer care system. Let's begin with some good news. What kind of progress did we see in 2015? So definitely some good news. And um, going back even further than that, we're, we're seeing that we are making progress and that there's increasing survival in many types of cancers over the past um, several decades. In 2015, uh, we saw several new medications that were approved and now in use that were FDA-approved, and a lot of the improvements are in the area of immuno-oncology, so trying to harvest the patient's own immune system to fight their own cancer, and this is typically used in conjunction with our other current treatments. As we add more and more uh, improvements to our treatments, we are seeing improvement in uh, survivorship for patients, um, curability in some cases, and uh, potentially long-term remission. Well, there's been great progress in some areas. Mortality rates for some cancers remain unchanged or even increased. Where are we seeing this lack of progress, and is there any sense of why? Well, cancer is not one disease. It's thousands of different diseases. So we need to understand uh, what causes the cancer individually, um, how we can potentially treat that based upon the information. So although we make um, some improvements and, and certainly understand some types of cancers. We still have several sometimes rare types of cancers where we don't understand them yet, and so we need to have increased research in those areas. So having said that, if we can try to understand the basic causes, the basic um, etiology of the cancer, then we can um, better address treatment. So a lot of the treatments that we have now are based upon this research that's been done over the past decades and trying to understand the cancers individually and then to apply these new treatments to those cancers. Your report finds that 
there is persistent inequities in cancer with incidence and mortality rates varying substantially by race and ethnicity. Is this a function of genetics, environment, economics, lifestyle, or something else? You know, probably it's all of the above. Um, <clears throat> definitely different races and ethnicities have uh, genetics that, that are different that make them potentially more susceptible to certain types of cancers. Um, environment, as far as the environment that we grow up in or live in, can, can definitely cause differences. Economics, unfortunately, continue to be a problem in that the um, health care in the United States is not equitable, and um, fortunately, we don't have equal health care for everyone. So uh, patients that are of certain types of ethnicity or races do not have the access to care that, that others do. But that's also true for some areas of the country that are perhaps rural, for example. Um, lifestyle really is one of the biggest um, issues related to cancer and can interact with the genetics. So certainly tobacco use, obesity, many of the things that um, could potentially help to decrease the cancer rates are sometimes higher in certain uh, races and ethnicities. So these things all probably work together um, to cause the increased mortality and increased incidence. Cancer screening has proven a critical tool in some cancers. Are, are we seeing a general expansion of screening and do new tools such as liquid biopsies hold the promise of earlier detection or are we finding limits to the benefits of screening? Well, the, the recognized screening is really um, the typical things that we think about, so mammogram, colonoscopy, you know, physical exam, that sort of thing. Liquid biopsies are not really a screening tool at this point in time. They're still considered a, a research tool. So sometime in the future, that might be an option, but it, it's definitely not considered a standard of care at this point. How about for other cancers outside of breast or colon cancer? Are we seeing an expansion of the use of screening tools? Um, there really are not a lot of standardized standard of care screening tools for um, many types of cancers. For example, um, I work with patients with lymphoma. There's really no screening tool for, for that population. So for many of the cancers, there's um, not a lot of expansion. One exception would be um, low-dose CT scans that are now um, approved for use for patients that have long-term smoking history would be one example of a new screening tool. Um, but there's not a lot of other there's been much talk about the movement toward and value of precision medicine. Oncology has, has led the way here, but are we still at a point where we're better at generating data than actionable information? Where are we in terms of making precision medicine the standard of care? So I would have to say that precision medicine, as far as testing the genomics of the cancer cells, um, you know, de definitely we've become... Um, much more expansive in that and, and as far as doing that. Uh, but I think there is a point where we have a large generation of data but don't know what to do with it at this point. So there's several um, clinical trials that are trying to look at this and trying to choose therapies based upon that precision medicine. And um, there's still ongoing trials, so we don't have a lot of data as of yet. So I think within the clinical trial context, it's very important as far, again, as far as the standard of care not necessarily um, an approach to use with each type of cancer yet. Research funding has been under pressure for some time. We've heard about the administration's cancer moonshot, but where are we on research funding and are we at risk of failing to capitalize on the scientific gains we've made? Research funding is always um, in deficit, unfortunately, and um, we can, could always use more funding. So 
we do have to try to focus the funding on the really high priority projects. Um, but the, you know, if Cancer Moonshot, if it goes through and gets this extra funding, would be incredibly helpful in trying to focus the money based upon the really high priority items that have been identified by the scientific community. So um, you could always use more funding from different sources. Um, certainly the NIH and CI is one source, but we also look to other sources um, such as private funding or pharmaceutical companies or you know, other ways to be able to get additional funding. The Affordable Care Act has made insurance more accessible to people who have been without insurance, but how good a job is it doing at making cancer care more affordable? The Affordable Care Act um, definitely has increased the number of people that have some coverage for health care, and that would include, of course, cancer care. Um, some of the policies, however, with the, under the Affordable Care Act are very narrow networks and don't allow patients to go to um, uh, academic cancer centers, for example. So uh, although it's improved it to some degree, it, it's not really a, a wide choice in that respect. Uh, I would like to see you know, some additional work on that to be able to make sure that all cancer patients can receive adequate care. Oh, part of the Affordable Care Act has been this effort to move the way we pay for healthcare from a volume basis to a value basis. How has this played out in the, in the field of oncology? Well, definitely, um, I think this is the way we're going toward in the future, um, and there's going to be changes in uh, how healthcare is paid in general as far as uh, looking at quality, looking at outcomes for patients, looking at alternative payment models. They have not, as of yet, taken hold, but that's definitely going to be happening over the next few years. And I think it's an important one that we always need to look at uh, what we're doing for treatment for any disease and make sure that the high value and high quality. So um, if it's done correctly, I think this could actually be a very positive move. Well, we've got an aging population, rising incidence of cancer, but a, a stable oncology workforce. Are we at risk of patients overburdening the system? Definitely, as our population ages, we're going to have more and more cancer patients, and uh, cancer patients are living longer. And so the, the volume is definitely there, and the workforce is not increasing at, at the same rate. So uh, the way that oncology is, is trying to work with this is to broaden the horizons of additional people that help us, such as advanced practice providers, um, to help uh, physician extenders, if you will, to help see some of the follow-up patients or some of the patients who are not having problems or not uh, having a new problem so that we can uh, work with the oncologists and extend their care. We're also trying to work with the primary care physicians to make sure the oncology survivors go back and are cared for by the primary care physicians to um, unburden the oncologist to, to take on new patients. So definitely going to meet, need to be a coordinated uh, care effort. Is this changing the role of the oncologist in any significant way? Um, I think the way it's going to change the role is to probably decrease the um, the well patients, if you will, that we see. So uh, we often see follow-up patients that aren't having problems or um, long-term survivors now. And of course, that's good for us to see those patients, uh, but they probably don't necessarily need to see an oncologist um, with every visit. What about technology? Is that having any any role in easing the burden on, on the oncology workforce? Um, I would have to say probably not at this point. <laughs> uh, technology, as far as electronic medical records, actually increasing the workload. 
And, um, you know, I think in the future there may be some easier ways to do some of these things, but, but right now we're sort of at an in-between point where technology really is not improving things. Well, drug prices, particularly in the oncology space, have been an area of growing controversy. Cancer doctors and, and ASCO have made efforts to ensure these drugs deliver value. At the same time, there's been some experimentation with new pricing models. Do you see any efforts having meaningful impact on cancer drug prices? I, I would say as of yet, um, minimal outcomes as far as trying to impact drug prices. Certainly, we've tried to look at different models for assessing the value of cancer care and um, not necessarily specifically about drugs, but value in general. And um, drugs are just one form that we use for treatment, of course. And we, we're going to have to look at that in the future to make sure that what we're actually administering does have meaningful impact for the patient and for their outcomes and, and create the value of care. So the, the system is going to have to look at that because it's, it's just an unsustainable system right now. Well, cancer care is expensive. The drugs are expensive. It, it's an obvious target for payers. How do we make cancer care affordable while encouraging innovation? I think we're all going to have to work together on that. And um, the pharmaceutical companies, of course, are many are global. And so we do have to look at global pricing as well as pricing in the United States and hopefully be able to um, work together on clinical trials and try to make them not so uh, costly by some of the additions that are in those and make it affordable for pharmaceutical companies to actually develop their drugs uh, in a cost-efficient way. So if we can work together on some of these issues, I think it'll decrease the, the burden on the, on the healthcare system as well. Julie Voss, immediate past president of ASCO. Julie, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, Subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.